0: Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Well, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching from the book of James, chapter 1, and I'm using the New International Version. I decided to use this particular uh, translation of the Bible because it presents the Word of God in the clearest possible language, and uh, my objective in sharing these uh, sessions, teaching these sessions, is to make the Bible as clear and understandable as possible, um, clear enough so that even a child can understand it. And the uh, New International Version achieves that goal for me. Now, before we get into the study uh, today of the book of James, chapter one, uh, I want to just give you a little bit of background on the book. Uh, The book of James was uh, probably written from Jerusalem in around 46 AD by James, the half brother of Jesus. Some scholars felt that James did not belong in the canon of Scripture. Because they felt that it uh, uh, contradicts uh, some of the other Bible, uh, the uh, other books of the Bible that talk more about grace. Pauline epistles, uh, Romans and Galatians, talk a lot about uh, grace uh, and faith without works apart from works for salvation. But uh, Galatians and and Romans also give a great deal of information. Ta- Paul talks a lot about uh, works in both of those books as well. In fact. And all of his, virtually all of his Pauline epistles, Paul uh, covers the subject of works. And uh, so James actually doesn't contradict those great works. It, it actually complements them and, uh, uh, and kind of comes alongside to, to, to balance them. So James, through all of his epistles, uh, though he talks about uh, the, the importance of faith apart from works, He also talks about the importance of works as evidence of faith, and that's the theme of this great book of James. So now let's jump right in, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So now, like Paul, James opened his letter with the customary self-identification he says calls himself james a slave of god and of the lord jesus christ that the uh, term slave suggests that james had completely bound himself and yielded himself under the uh, lordship of jesus christ his his half brother although james was actually one of jesus's uh, half brothers a uh, biological son of joseph and mary He didn't seek to capitalize on that fact or to exploit it in any way. Uh, He didn't exalt himself in any way by reminding people of his biological connections with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he humbled himself to the level of the rest of humanity. And that's admirable about James. James fully accepted his brother, Jesus, as God the Son, uh, and he was fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now I'm reading verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James encouraged the Jewish saints who were scattered around the Roman province in the face of uh, the difficult time that they were facing, the, the Jewish people all over were, were suffering uh, greatly um, for different reasons and, and, and different things were happening to them. Their properties were being confiscated. They were being persecuted heavily, uh, especially those who turned to Christ. And, and so James is encouraging them. James wanted them to know that their suffering had valuable benefit. It was not in vain. Um, aside from the eternal reward that they could expect, James wanted them to know, uh, that their faith and their patience was being developed through their suffering. So God was doing something in their suffering. It always helps, um, to take a positive attitude about the trouble and suffering that we face, uh, in our lives rather than rumble and complain about them. It's healthier to find the, um, uh, find and, and, and focus on the positive aspects of suffering. James's words may have sounded uh, like mockery, may have sounded kind of empty uh, in the face of such suffering, but to those who, who uh, were willing to listen to him and, and willing to open up and take his advice, it brought encouragement and, and comfort to them. In verse 3, we're told that the troubles and difficulties test our faith. They test our faith. When our faith is tested, our patience or our endurance increases. Similar to the way that uh, we build up our, our physical bodies by going to the gym and, and uh, doing resistance training. We, we pick up the heavy weights and, and our, our limbs get sore. Our body gets sore in the process. But what is happening is that we're building muscle. If we continue on through the soreness, uh, our muscles will grow, uh, we'll burn some fat, and uh, we'll will tone up, and and we'll become stronger. That's what happens when we're uh, faced with different trials and temptations, and when we endure them and continue on in faith, our faith increases, it gets stronger, and our fa- and our uh, patience uh, increases as well. Our our level of endurance increases. Uh, when patient endurance is fully developed, James says our our Christian character also develops and matures. And, and uh, when our endurance and our character are strong and developed, uh, then we move toward perfection, where James said we're lacking in nothing. Now, James encourages us to embrace these times of trouble and suffering and uh, just to allow our faith and endurance to be perfected by them. So, that's why he says, count it all joy when you fall into uh diver's temptation, the King James says. Uh, we're not rejoicing over the suffering itself. We're rejoicing over the outcome. It's like Jesus, when he uh, had to face the cross, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Um, uh, then he sat down on the right hand of the, of the father, the Bible says. Uh, He looked beyond that suffering to the outcome. And the Bible says it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. He wasn't pleased with uh, Jesus Christ's actual suffering, the, the cross and all that. He was pleased with the outcome. The suffering bought our freedom. And that's what God was pleased with. He's pleased with the outcome. So James is saying, look to the outcome. Look beyond the suffering and see what it's going to benefit, uh, what it's going to bring about in your life, and rejoice over that, okay? It's not easy to view troubles and sufferings as something positive. It's not easy to look beyond that when you're in the middle of it. I understand that, um, let alone rejoice about them. But, but if, if we can, if we can rejoice just with our words, uh, don't worry about your feelings, if we can just rejoice with our words, if we can obey God by doing that, that bit of obedience, uh, is a, God will accept that as a gesture of faith and obedience, uh, and he will bring our feelings in line later. Just do what you can do, and God will do the rest. We may not feel joyful during our times of, of, of suffering. Um, uh, we may not feel like rejoicing, but just rejoice with your mouth. Just praise God with your mouth and give thanks with your mouth and and worship God with your mouth in the middle of your suffering, despite it. Job said, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." That was honoring God, and certainly uh, God brought about a good outcome. We're using Job's study, uh, uh, his story, to to encourage ourselves in the Lord when we're going through suffering. And at the end of Job's suffering, he received. Uh, double what he had before. God blesses those who are faithful. As we rejoice in God and, and as we praise him in the midst of hard trials, he begins to gradually increase our level of patience and endurance. So so rejoice in it as best you can with your mouth and on watch God increase your faith. If, if we want our patience and our endurance to grow, We have to learn how to rejoice and continue to give praise and thanks to God uh, when the trouble comes. Rather than gripe and complain against our circumstances, we we need to learn how to rejoice in the Lord. Now, verse 5, I'm reading verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, James here is speaking of a specific kind of wisdom, uh, the kind of wisdom that we need when we're dealing with specific problems and challenges. God's wisdom is necessary in any circumstance that we may be facing in life. God will show us uh, what to do in any specific situation if we ask Him. It. It's amazing to think that the a creator of the universe, uh, the one who created everything and knows everything that there is to know about everything. He invites us to ask him for wisdom because he has all wisdom and all, and all knowledge and all understanding. Um, and he offers us his advice. We can ask God about how to deal with anything. We can ask him about how to deal with a problem marriage, uh, a problem child or or a difficult boss, or a coworker, or or how to overcome besetting sin. We can even ask God uh, what school to attend, or whether to attend college or a trade school. We can ask Him for wisdom in in any problem we may be facing. I remember when I was uh, trying to decide what to what to major in college. I um, I didn't know what to take. I prayed about it, and the Lord led me to major in in uh, education. So I enrolled in the school of education, and I didn't know at the time that God was going to use me to to operate a school, um, to uh, to hire teachers, to um, to 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 fund to, find, to uh, found a school, and and we operated for a number of years. And my wife and I operate a daycare center, and in addition to the church work, so that. Uh, the experience that I gained uh, in education and the the knowledge and the background prepared me for something that I had no idea was coming and even today we're today we' are working uh, with uh, pastors in in Africa we're uh, preparing the curriculum and uh, we're helping to fund and build churches over there and schools and uh, we'll be working with the, the teachers and training pastors and teachers and all of that came out of the educational background so we ask God for wisdom. We ask him for knowledge and understanding, and he guides us. God will not resent or criticize us for asking, but we must do exactly what he directs us to do. Don't ever ask God for wisdom and then turn around and, and reject the, uh, the advice, the instruction that he provides you with. Don't ever reject God's wisdom just because it's not what you want to do. That's rebellion. Um, um, that's suggesting when, when, when we ask God for wisdom and he gives us direction and we don't do that, then that's suggesting that his wisdom is inferior to ours. Such rebellion only increases the problems and difficulties in our lives. It, It never solves them. So we should be eager to ask God for direction. And then when he gives us direction We should follow that and not lean to our own understanding. Like uh, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He'll tell you, show you which way to go. Uh, And when he does, uh, go that way. Don't lean to your own understanding. Go by what uh, God has has instructed you to do. Uh, If we trust God entirely and, and seek his will, when dealing with decisions and difficulties, he'll show us a more perfect way that blesses us and blesses others. Uh, But when asking God for wisdom, we can't expect him to give us directions that violate his word or his will. He will not tell us to do something that is in contradiction to his word or his will. Um, and now, it's also important to know that God's directions often don't bring an in instant uh, end to difficulties and, and problems that we may be facing. God's solutions are sometimes gradual. Uh, so after we prayed and follow the wisdom of God, we have to be prepared uh, to allow time for the situation uh, to change. But ju- let's just stay faithful with God. Now, how does God answer our prayers for wisdom? Well, he may simply bring a passage of scripture to your mind to direct you. Um, And there are other times when when we'll suddenly realize exactly what we should do after asking God for wisdom. He, He may direct us through the wise words of other people is another way that he may do it. So when you pray for wisdom and then suddenly, You get an idea of how to do something, something that you couldn't figure out before. You're trying to figure out something and suddenly, oh, you notice uh, a way to do it. Don't take that for granted and don't think that's coincident and don't think that that came from you. Uh, God is infusing you with with, uh, wisdom and understanding uh, of how to solve your problem. Now, one way that God routinely gives wisdom and directions is through his minister's and the sermons that they preach and teach. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, I will give you pastors after mine own heart. We shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's Jeremiah 3.15. So this is one of the many reasons that it's important to be faithful in church attendance. God prepares the pastors and the ministers, and then they speak his words, and those words direct us, inform us, um, and increase our level of wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes we have to make immediate decisions, okay? Sometimes uh, we can't wait. We have to decide on something right now. We're facing a, an immediate decision that we must make. And, and in those cases, pray and ask for direction and then ask with the best light that you have. Ask God, pray and, and ask for direction and then act, that is, act, Um choose one path or the other, but use the best knowledge that you have to make your decision and act, but make sure that you are not doing something that is in contradiction to God's word. Now, verse six, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Ask for wisdom in faith. It's an insult to God to ask him for something and not really expect to receive it. To pray without believing is to suggest that God is not true to his word. Okay, It's like calling God a liar or or suggesting that he acts like flawed humanity. He does not. Praying without expectation is to approach God with a doubtful and unstable mind and attitude. Jesus said this, therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you and it will be yours. That's Mark 11:24 in the NIV. Now I'm reading verses seven through eight. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So a double-minded person is indecisive, and they vacillate back and forth about uh, what they believe. God does not respond to that kind of an attitude. It it, it insults his integrity. So make sure that when we're praying that we turn around and we expect to see some result from what we've asked God for. Now, verses nine through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the, the plant. Its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, poor people are often dishonored and looked down on. They're slighted and exploited and treated unjustly. They're often disrespected and undervalued. While rich people have respect and admiration and honor that many of them don't even deserve, but God honors and exalts the poor believer. They are very valuable and highly favored to God. God looks beyond this uh, temporal status of the poor while they're here on earth, Uh, especially poor Christians. Uh, he sees their eternal value and their e- eternal status in the kingdom of heaven. Poor saints own everything, but the world is ignorant of that fact. For now, um, they look at poor people and they think they have nothing. And poor people are going to rule in the uh, in the in, in the the new world when Jesus Christ comes. Those who are faithful and poor, poor and faithful and and uh, believers in 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 Christ. Those who follow Him are going to be ruling people who who may be rich believers. Um, God reverses the order in the kingdom. He honors the poor. Jesus came to the poor. He was born in a stable, okay? Uh, and the Bible says that, uh, that the, the common people heard him gladly. So he identified with the poor. On the other hand, God humbles the rich by humiliating them uh, or reminding them of their temporal nature, the temporal nature of, of their of their lives and of their wealth. It's, it's just for here. Now, if a person is wealthy and they are a believer and they're honoring God, then, then they have nothing to lose. But a person who is rich, unbelieving, uh, exploiting the poor and taking advantage of other people, uh, they're going to lose everything that they have the minute they breathe their last breath. And then they spend eternity in a terrible place called hell. We tend to focus on our temporary status and not think about the fact that, that this life is quickly passing away. Um, and along with it, our earthly condition is passing away. James uh, compares us to a vapor. Here he compares us to a flower that shows up for a little while it blooms and it blossoms. And in a few days it dries out and, and, and it's gone away. Our lives are like those blooms and blossoms on a flower. Uh, The years are passing so quickly, and we're passing off the scene. One generation comes and another generation uh, goes away. and, And it's so quick that we should not store all of our hopes and expectations and aspirations in this one world. We should look forward to the coming of the Lord. It's more practical to place our greatest focus on our eternal existence rather than this fleeting temporal one. Now, I want to say that it's not a sin to be rich. God gives riches and honor to those who honor him, but it's wrong to be greedy and lust for riches. Paul warned with these words. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. That plunged them into ruin and destruction. That's 1 Timothy 6 and 9 in the New Living Translation. So people who are obsessed with the pursuit of riches, whether they're rich or poor, are in danger of becoming trapped by many desires uh, that will do great harm in their lives and destroy them. This is what Jesus meant when he said you can't serve God and money, Matthew 6, 24. He says... You can't serve God and money. You have to serve one or the other. Obsession with riches consumes the lion's share of the infected person's thoughts. That is that person who is infected with the obsession for for wealth, for money. It becomes their God and and they ne- neglect the, uh, the true God. The apostle Paul said, the rich should use their money to do good. And I'm quoting him. They should be rich in good works, Paul says, and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of real life. That's First Timothy six seventeen through nineteen. Rich saints must resist the temptation to be proud and high-minded because of their wealth. Uh, they should use their wealth uh, for the good of the kingdom, to bless people and to help people. They should really share with those who are in need and uh, they should be rich in good works. They should be rich in doing what's right. So as people of God, we should align our thinking with the way uh, God thinks and God how God views the rich and the poor. Uh, we shouldn't be caught up in that trap to where we were uh, honoring a rich people, regardless of how they got their wealth or how they lived their lives. Um, we should not be imitators of them. We shouldn't envy them and we shouldn't give them uh, more respect than they deserve. Now I'm reading verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Temptation or testing in verse 12 is speaking of being tried or tested by hardships and difficulties, okay? So God blesses those who endure such trials and, and those kinds of temptations with a positive attitude. God is pleased when we face these difficulties with the right attitude. He blesses us in this life, but the ultimate reward the crown of life will be given to us in the life to come. This crown of life is a special crown that the Lord promises to all those who uh, love him enough to trust him even through hardship and difficulty. God will give us an actual crown of life to represent our faithfulness in suffering. Now, verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it's important to know that God never tempts us. Um, this temptation here is talking about enticement to sin. Um, The desire to do evil comes from within our own human nature. Every human being is plagued by thoughts and desires to sin. I don't care who you are. If you're alive, you have a pulse, you're breathing, you are plagued by thoughts and desires to sin. They may be the morally outrageous kind such as adultery, or they may be the more socially acceptable kind, like gossip or using your mouth or slander to slander people, or backbiting and all of that stuff, but it's all sin. Jane warns that every act begins with a thought or a desire within us. The desire is the seed that threatens to grow into a, a full-blown act. If the desire is not confessed and repented of, it will conceive and and grow into action and. An example of this might be a fantasy about an adulterous relationship. The desire is secretly held inside. If it, if that desire is not rejected and completely rooted out, the person will eventually encounter the opportunity, the perfect opportunity to fulfill that desire. And so we have to stay prayed up. When the act is finally carried out, it can result in death, okay, it, May be the death of a, of a reputation or the death of a career or the death of a marriage, um, death of a family. In some cases, natural death and even uh, eternal death. So, uh, James is warning that uh, the seed of sin has to be dealt with. It's a serious thing. We have to watch and pray so that we will not enter into temptation. That's what Jesus warned us. James is warning is like the, the the skull and crossbones on a on a bottle of poison, you know those old poisonous bottles used to have a symbol—a a skull with two crossbones—and uh, to to warn that that this thing contains poison. It, it, this stuff kills. Okay. Now I'm reading verses 16 through 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, God is not a tempter. Rather, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift is from the hand of God who never changes. He's not like shifting shadows. He is the same. Uh, He is immutable. The gift of a a good wife or a good husband uh, comes from God. Uh, the gift of children and grandchildren come from God, the gift of of a a good job or career comes from God, the the gift of a peaceful home, the gift of life, the the gift of salvation are all examples of good gifts and perfect gifts that come down from above. We should praise God from whom all blessings flow, the, the hymn says. Praise him. We should give thanks to God and we should honor him for the good things that he does in our lives. He doesn't tempt us. He gives us good good gifts and perfect gifts. Now I'm reading verse, uh, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all of his creatures. Out of all of God's creation, we human beings are chosen as his own children and, uh, and and his prized possession. And by choosing us, he expressed his great love and kindness to us. God's greatest expression of love and kindness is demonstrated to us by adopting us into his family and giving us salvation uh, and bringing us in as his own dear children. We become God's children through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the apostle Paul tells us uh uh, actually, the apostle Peter, I'm sorry, tells us that the word of God is the incorruptible seed that that conceives his children and causes us to be born again. That's 1 Peter 1, 23. Now I'm reading verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So James teaches us to practice controlling our anger and to to learn to listen. Don't be quick to get angry, James warns us, Um, but be quick to listen. It's it's hard to listen when you're in a rage, when you're angry. Rather than becoming victims of anger and rage, practice self-control and maintain a calm and peaceful demeanor at all times. As representatives of Christ, he's instructing us to be people of peace and, and people of restraint. Verse 20 says, human anger does not result in righteousness. We cannot do the will of God through expressions of anger and rage. Angry outbursts are are not God's way of handling things. And and they work against the will and the plan of God. So we have to practice being calm. We have to practice. We have to use the power of the Holy Spirit to maintain a calm demeanor and control that uh, that thing that rises in us when we're insulted or offended and, and so forth. The Bible says, uh, in Proverbs 12:16, I believe it is, that says uh, the fool shows his annoyance at once, but the prudent will overlook an insult. So it's important for us to begin to practice prudence. God's prescribed response is to overcome evil with good and not with anger. That's in Romans 12, 21. James instructs us to get rid of anger and any other evil and filth that may be, that may remain in our lives. Okay. So not only the anger, but the other things that besetting sins and the filth that's in our lives, we need to get rid of that. In verse 21, James make it, per, makes it perfectly clear that the only way that we could live like this, the way that he advocates is to readily, humbly, and meekly receive the implanted word of God in our hearts. Okay. It, the word of God has the power to save us from the corruption uh, of this fallen world. So we have to uh, meekly and, and, and gently, humbly receive that ingrafted word in us. Take in the word at every opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to sit under good teaching uh, in your church uh, and good preaching. Uh, don't miss the opportunity to read your Bible and meditate upon the word of God. Receive the ingrafted word of God, which is able to save you, James says. Now I'm reading verses 22 through 20, 25. Verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at him, at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So God's word was written to be obeyed, not to be listened to and ignored. It is, the Bible is a manual on how to succeed and prosper in life. Um, And it prepares us for eternity. Uh, just like we follow the doctor's prescription, the direction from God's word must be followed precisely as prescribed, or there'll be no results. When we get a prescription from the doctor, we go, uh, we read the prescription, and we follow uh, we follow it. And sometimes it says uh, take all of the medicine. Okay, we can uh, start. We can take some of it. We take half of it, and suddenly we feel okay. Uh, and then we stop taking it, and the the virus or whatever it is within us was not completely dead, so it comes back, and then we start feeling bad again. We have to go back and get another one. Um, it's the same way with the things of God. We have to be willing to hear what God is instructing us to do, and we have to be willing to full, uh, follow that, those instructions down to the letter. People who read the Bible or listen to sermons without responding in obedience and uh uh and doing what god said they're setting themselves up for self deception and failure okay obedience is the key to greater understanding about god and his teachings if we obey what he tells us he'll give us more knowledge the book of psalms declares this it says i discern more than the elders because i obey your precepts i have more knowledge i have more discernment the psalmist says because I obey your precepts. That's Psalm 119 and 100 from the Berean study Bible. So now James compares the word of God to a mirror. Mirrors are designed to show us ourselves just as we are. Once we see ourselves, we can't uh, choose to, uh, well, we can. We can, If we want to, we can choose to ignore it and, and, and walk away, um, deny what we see, uh, and do nothing about it. And no change will take place. And <clears throat> excuse me, eventually we will forget what we look like. We will forget about what's wrong. Ignoring the word of God results in a memory lapse. Those who refuse to obey the word of God will forget what needs correcting about them in their lives. And, and they'll wind up believing that they're, they're just, just fine the way that they are. On the other hand, <clears throat> When we obey what is commanded of us, it becomes part of us, so we don't forget it. It shapes who we are, so we can't forget it. It has the effect of transforming us into the image of Christ. Like a a mirror, the Word of God informs us of changes that need to be made in our lives, but it doesn't force those changes on us. If we make the needed changes as as they are revealed to us, we can see the transformation process as it takes place before our eyes. Paul describes this process uh, of transformation in his epistle to the Corinthians. Here's what he says. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. That's in 2 Corinthians 3. 18. So like looking in a mirror, <clears throat> as we obey God and as we do what he tells us to do, we see ourselves changing and becoming more and more like him. Just like looking at his image in a mirror and seeing ourselves change from, from the way we look to the way he looks. The Word of God directs the changes needed to lead us to becoming more and more like Christ. Now verse 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Um, James is telling us here that an uncontrolled tongue is a terrible, sinful thing. James says the religion of the person wielding an uncontrolled tongue is worthless in vain. Their religion is worthless in vain in vain. James warns those who claim to be Christians not to contradict their claim by their words. Our words define and validate us or invalidate us as Christians. Uh, if we claim to be religious but don't control our tongues uh, or curse and lie and and abuse people with our tongues and slander and uh, use our tongues in all kind of reckless ways, it erases what we're claiming to be. We're only deceiving ourselves and pretending to be Christ-like. People who claim to be religious yet use their tongues and do all these things, these destructive uh, things, betray the religion that they claim to have. Uh, Their words drown out their claim to religion. Now agreeing with James, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Don't don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's Ephesians 4.29 in the New Living Translation. So both Paul and James are admonishing Christians to stop using their words as weapons of war and start using them as instruments of love and peace. Now I'm reading verse 27 um, by itself. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pure religion is based on the golden rule. The golden rule says thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's Leviticus 19.18 in the King James Version. Uh, One day the, the Pharisees were hassling Jesus for Eating with tax collectors and sinners, people they consider to be low life and unworthy uh, of their company and presence. So Jesus quoted from Hosea 6.6, and it says, I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. That's Matthew 19:13. And he was quoting from Hosea 6.6. So what Jesus is saying is, um, go learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to show mercy. I'd uh, rather to have your mercy than your sacrifice. Don't bring your sacrifice if you can't show people, mer- people mercy and compassion. Religion that does not compel us to show mercy and kindness to the needy uh, is worthless. It's worthless. True faith in Christ is concerned with suffering people. James tells the Christians, um, um, he tells us to show our religion by doing two things. Number one, Caring for those in need, and number two, to avoid the corruption that's in the world. Now, it's impossible to positively impact this world without coming into contact with corrupting influences. That's going to happen. Um, We have to be careful. We're we're the salt of of the earth. We're the light of the world. Salt has to make contact with the meat before it can season it. So we have to be in the world. Uh, but we have to be careful to uh, pull people out of corruption uh, without allowing it to corrupt us. So stay prayed up, stay read up, stay churched up. Amen? Amen. Well, that brings us to the close of James chapter one. In our next session, we will study chapter two. Now, if you live in the Indianapolis area, I want to invite you to come visit us at um, one of our services at New Direction Church where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr. is the pastor. Our East Campus is located at 5330 East 38th Street, and our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. Okay, we're on 5330 East 38th Street and 7701 East 86th Street. I hope to see you at our very next service. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you and your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at emergecurriculum.com. Please tune into to our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast.